Episode 192 for August 2012. The Spider-Man Crawl Space Podcast is sponsored by MailOrderComics.com. An example of their great prices on this Paul Jenkins-centric episode is on Wolverine Origins. This book gave Wolverine a backstory after all these years. And the cover price is $16.99. Mail order has it for just $10.53, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at MailOrderComics.com. Hey, Crawl Spacers, we're here with Paul Jenkins, and Paul, we're at the Chicago Comic Con. You've been here 20 years, or you've been coming? Uh, yeah, I came here first, I think, in 1991, maybe, something like that. So uh, it's gotten really big, then really small, and then really big again. It's crazy. This is huge. No doubt. And uh, speaking of time, back in 1999 or 2000, off of Inhumans, you got the Peter Parker gig. Tell me how that came about. Uh, well, I'd actually turned Ralph Macchio down for about three years. I know it sounds crazy, but when Ralph came to me, um, I always want to do books that I think have relevance. And I told him in all honesty that I, I really didn't know what to do. I didn't know what, how to speak to Spider-Man because I felt that the, um, the years of, you know, the death of Uncle Ben made sense, death of Gwen Stacy made sense then Captain Stacy and then somebody else and after a while I felt it was very convoluted so that the honest straightforward stories of um, you know Batman I mean uh, Spider-Man fights uh, Dr. Octopus for the first time and he's never beaten Dr. Octopus or he gets beaten for the first time these are great cool compelling stories and it had gone away so I got the chance to do Inhumans I did really well Ralph still asked me for a couple of stories, and then it ended out that uh, my first story about Spider-Man was about him untangling this thread of sort of continuity. That was what I wrote about, and that allowed me to write Spider-Man. And is he one of your favorite characters? I mean, how were you first exposed to Spider-Man? You know, I'm asked all the time, what's your favorite character? And uh, I love all characters. I think they're really interesting. Um, but the reason I cite Spider-Man is because he's like me, or I'm like him. I, he's, a, he's a character I identify most with because I think the sort of ordinary hero is the guy that works hard and sort of endures a bunch of stuff, you know, and then and then uh, goes back and does it again. You know, so I'm, I have an optimistic kind of personality like him, so that's why. You know. He's a lot different than Hellblazer. Uh, yeah, John Constantine is not really me. You know. <laughs> um. And, and I think you did more character development on Uncle Ben than anybody. Talk a bit about that. I, I love the story where he takes him to the ball game. That's cited a lot. A lot of Spider-Man fans is one of their favorites. Um, Uncle Ben, yes. I mean, you know, I think that if you're going to find out who these people are, you have to basically find out, um, you know, what their influence is in, in any character. You know, why is Batman the way that he is? Why is Dr. Octopus the way that he is? At some point, you've got to delve into who they are. And... Um, Uncle Ben's a massive part, so I think the very first story that we did was about why does Spider-Man face his foes with a sense of humor? Why does he do, why does he wisecrack? Turns out when he was a little kid and he was really nervous and he came to the house of his uh, you know aunt and uncle, that Uncle Ben was a practical joker. And so they, he learned how to play practical jokes. It's so funny, I play practical jokes with my six-year-old kid. We do it on his poor mum all the time and uh, we think it's really funny. So. 
I think that kind of development is really important. And the one about the baseball actually has a very specific story behind it. Um, when I uh, go to Great Britain, I often had to go back to say goodbye to relatives that were about to die. And um, when you live in a different country, you are you have to kind of go back. And we both know that I will never see you again. But I, you know, goodbye, and it, you know, um, but that person's not yet deceased. Well, I went back to see my granddad in Wales, and he was in a um, an old people's home, and I sat and I talked with him, and I couldn't really get him to feel interested in anything. And he literally said to me, "Boy, I, I, I'm finished. I don't really want to live anymore. I think I've, I'm finished." And I asked him if he wanted to watch the football, and he didn't. But we we ended up singing old London songs uh, from the wartime, and as we did it, all of the old people in the old people's home started singing with us, which was so cool. So I left, and, and I knew I'd never see my granddad again, and um, I got on the plane and I wrote that issue. And it was about how we connect to our relatives by, by ritual. It might be Thanksgiving or sports or songs, and in Peter Parker's case, it was... Um, it was that he, he went to a baseball game. And in a sense, how they finally win the baseball game, the Mets, and three days later the old guy is dead. And I think the fans have come to me crying like loads of times saying, oh, I like wow. What, I like what you said. Spider-Man only appeared in one panel of that. Is that right? It's about making, humanizing the character. And, and I think it's very indicative of my run on Spider-Man that the two most memorable books that I get to sign often are that issue and an issue about a little black child who, uh, you know, has a secret friend called Spider-Man where when you reveal at the end that Spider-Man is actually an African-American guy, the, the ideal that the kid would believe would be Spider-Man. Um, so, you know, I feel that um, uh, Peter Parker is, is everything and Spider-Man happens to be an event in his life, in a sense, you know. Uh, so yes, there's only one or two panels um, that happen to contain him in costume in that story. And yet it's the one that I sign the most copies of. And there's a couple things we were talking about the other day. That image of the kiss on Peter Parker 30 was an inspiration for the movie, The Upside Down Kiss, right? Uh, yeah, I believe so. And uh, it's a beautiful cover that Carrie Andrews did. Uh, also, I think, um, you know, I was told, uh, I was given a phone call when we did the, the Goblin story. Uh, where the goblin basically wants Peter Parker to be uh, his son and they said Raimi read the story and thought it was great and so they want to incorporate that element into the film so it's found its way into the films you know and the the idea of anybody can be behind the mask I guess was the inspiration for the African-American kid who we now have an African-American Spider-Man yes. an ultimate Spider-Man so yeah yeah the first I guess to do that I don't know <laughs> well it wasn't <laughs> it's it's a, a way of explaining my story in a sense, which is, you know, I, I was a little child. Uh, I grew up on a farm uh, in a house that rarely had electricity, and it was great. lived on a farm. We picked all of the food that we ate. It was, it was interesting, but the, my first exposure to comics was getting American comics back from my grandmother in London, who would send them in a little roll every month, and that was really where we... She rolled them up? She rolled them up. <laughs> and then sent them to us um, and she used to send us the reprints of the old uh, classic EC horror comics as well you know I was six but my grandmother used to always do this and uh, I think I thought that Spider-Man I knew he was in a city so I assumed he was in London and I assumed that he looked like me that's what children do so yeah absolutely and one thing that you did with Peter Parker that I thought was awesome you tried to make him have a stand-up comedy career tell me about that because he's wisecracking for free out in the out in the city fighting bad guys. Why not get paid for it? You know. When <laughs> when Bucky and I came on board, yeah. I was told by any number of people, you should be afraid, or Spider-Man's dead, or you know, Mary Jane was dead, so there's nowhere to go. And 
And I called Bucky up and I said, you know that what's missing with Spider-Man is he's funny, man. Yeah. Like, he's funny. I miss that. <clears throat> That's what we should do. Four of the first five issues that we did were, were about, like, him and his sense of humor. There was the one with Uncle Ben. There was one with a bunch of mimes. Yes. Bucky and I... Almost enough said. Bucky and I cracked up for four <laughs> hours on the phone. I was awake till four o'clock in the morning. It's like nine o'clock in the morning in Britain where he was. And we just had the fit of the giggles yeah. trying to work out how to make Spider-Man fight a gang of mimes because yeah. this was funny, right? I love that issue, yeah. Right. And, you know, that kind of thing was missing. And we wanted to bring it back. <clears throat> I thought that in tribute to poor Mary Jane, who's dead for the time, he would finally do this thing he'd be wanting to do forever and he does it and he stands up and he does a comedy routine and he sucks and but he's always promised himself he'll do it and yet doing a comedy routine and being a funny guy are two completely different things but you know the idea that there's humor in these stories that they end with funny punchlines that funny things are happening and you know, Spider-Man needed it then. It was so serious. It was so self-involved, you know. And you said in '99, nobody wanted Spider-Man. I mean, he 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 was at a low point. Well, I mean, you know, I think that the the company Marvel was a bit of a low point, really. You know, um, I think you know Howard Mackie was writing two titles, and I talked with him, and he said, "I'm sort of trying." struggling a little bit to work out what to do with two titles is a lot of work and yeah. all of that and he was happy that I'd come on to one of the books um, so I'm not really saying it's a low point creatively I mean I wouldn't say that obviously Howard did great stuff but it was more that um, I was being told well you know the company's in bankruptcy there's not a lot going on you know um, you know we really should uh, probably just can Spider-Man you're never going to be able to reinvigorate him to which mine and Bucky's answer was read our first issue because it reinvigorated him to some extent immediately uh, you you went on that the Peter Parker title wrapped up and it spun off the spectacular was that your choice or do, how did that come about yeah, it came about because Umberto and I did these, this Goblin story that was really, really well regarded. Um, it was at a time when they really gave us a lot of freedom to do stories that had meaning. Mm -hmm. And I've got to tell you that I always thought that was the definitive, almost the be-all and end-all of, of Norman Osborn right there. Because, because when they have this final climactic battle, Peter Parker basically says to him, your job is to make me hate you. And, and I won't hate you because of Gwen Stacy, because she would never let me. Go ahead and kill everybody I, I love. I'll never hate you. And he wins. And the, the goblin is stuck in a room by himself with a pistol, and he knows that he kills himself. Didn't really happen, and they didn't want it to happen. But I, we were so happy with our work that they said, we want to create a brand new title for you guys. Um, and so they did. They let us um, go immediately to Spectacular, and we had these massive plans. And we immediately started with these massive plans, and the first thing they did was tell us, we want you to do something different. <laughs> you, was one of the plans to do the Venom with the brain tumor? Well, what was yeah. the brain tumor? It was a spine it, No, he had cancer. Cancer, yes. that was it. Uh, yes, uh, that was an eventual plan. It wasn't our plan to do the first. that as the first issue. Okay. We had that. I loved that idea, right? I thought that... Um, Venom was a really difficult character to, to encapsulate. It was very, 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 very hard. And um, I was unable to articulate to my wife what Venom was. I was driving in the car with her, and, and I said, let me tell you this. And she said, well, okay, why? Which is a great question. Why? Why? Who cares? I said, do you understand? And so I realized I needed to find a way 
for Eddie Brock to to have something happening to him and the Venom suit to be something. The suit is an alien creature. Right. And one of the things I found out was that certain types of cancer secrete adrenaline, and that's what the creature feeds on. And so it was making Eddie throw himself off of buildings, and then it was catching him right at the last minute, and he was terrified, and it was just killing him. Um, so, you know, uh, I thought it was uh, a great story, but it wasn't the one we were going to do first. We were actually going to do a Carnage story first. Oh, really? Carnage story never came out. We actually drew the first issue. It's never come out. You want to tell what it was about? Um, it <laughs> you want to save it? it or was, come back and write it? It was about, it was about the asylum. And it was carnage in the asylum beginning to infect everybody in the asylum with some kind of crazy thought process. Now, the spectacular book lasted about 27 issues. Did you did you have enough Spider-Man to get out? I mean, what wrapped it up for you? I wish Spectacular had gone differently, you know. Um, we loved the Venom story. We did a great uh, Dr. Octopus one. Um, enjoyed it to some extent. But at the time, Marvel was in a strange place, and I think that, you know, they had issues with, you know, what was going on internally, uh, you know, the, the, Bill Jemis, you know, I was always very friendly with him, uh, you know, I, I had, if were it not for him, I mean, you know, he, he took my advice to did Wolverine Origin, you know, we had a great relationship, but Bill also, um, you know, at that time was beginning to sort of demand the, certain things from the books, and I think that that wasn't what... I did. I never did that. You know, if I had had such success with a book, and we were doing 18 issues a year, and it was working out so well, why are there sudden demands to say do five issue series every time? Why? 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 Why do we do five issue series? Why must they? Exactly. And I just thought like this was silly. You know, it doesn't fit what we do. Then I was asked, well, you know, we want you to do the um, organic web shooters in this book, and I said I don't understand the relevance of it. You know, it doesn't. Okay, we'll do it. It doesn't bother me, but why? Why is that a requisite to what we do as a book? You know, why a tie-in? Why? And I thought, you know, it began to go away, and then it was resuscitated near the end of my spectacular run. But you see, Umberto, Umberto at that point was already kind of alienated. He <laughs> was frustrated, like I was, that we were being asked to do these stories that really didn't fit. We had a carnage story. We have a story that we had pitched. Um, that I wish we'd done that was about Peter Parker falling in love with Gwen and the first time that they were ever together. Um, we had a comedy about the, the uh, hypno-hustler coming back. Oh, man, you didn't do that one, huh? I wanted to, and, we, and it was a single issue, and the hypno-hustler comes back, and he wants royalties. He's been in jail, and he wants royalties, and someone's using his music to do raves and they're hypnotizing everybody and he wants his royalties back. We had one about the big wheel as a comedy. And we had one about the cheese, the piece of cheese. We had comedies, we had all kinds of stuff and 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 we and a vulture story that was really cool. It really encapsulated the vulture. And you know my style, I really want to kind of encapsulate the character. And all we were being told as well, you know, we really you know I mean, when they asked me to do the Doctor Octopus one, I said, I've just done a Doctor Octopus story and they said we want another one because the film's coming out. And I say, well, then that's pointless, you know. We did a good Dr. Octopus story, I thought, but it wasn't what we wanted to do. Then, you know, we sort of resuscitated it near the end. I got to do the poker story that I love. I love that story about poker because it's all about the conveyance of sort of energy between two people who are adversaries and, you know, the Kingpin and Spider-Man, and Spider-Man naturally wins. 
because he's mentally stronger and he always will be and it drives the kingpin nuts and then I got to do my final issue and I, I don't know if you understand the significance of this final issue but to me it's like ra- massively significant in Spider-Man's entire history like I think it's funny because it's a single issue that says goodbye from Bucky and I um, but people I think didn't quite understand maybe or didn't realize the significance of what was being said in that issue um, the aunt and Sp- Spider-Man he goes to see Uncle Ben again to say goodbye again you know and in the six years that I had been doing Spider-Man it had become confusing so Spider-Man says it's become confusing I don't understand what this is all about and Ben says you know don't you understand what this was all about you were always going to be Spider-Man even whether you had a costume or not you were always going to be a hero this is who you are but more importantly you know, you didn't do it for, for me and my death. You didn't do it for Gwen. You did it for your parents. And they show this story about how he wanted to be a spider in the school play. And he failed when he did it. He, he lost his lines. He fluffed his lines. And, and he never got the opportunity to fix that. So he always wanted to be Spider-Man for his mom and dad. Yeah. Uh, divide Spider-Man fans, so I want to get your two cents. Married or single? <laughs> single. You like single? Why do you like single? Well, I'm okay with married too. I mean, I'm okay. I, I, I just, God, I, I hate the continuity of it all. I, I don't care. Tell me he's married. Keep him married. Great. I'll do married because I, I often used to say, you know, I'm a happily, happily married guy. I love my wife, and and we're very lucky to be so good at communicating, and and so. I, I always used to see the version of him married as he's put upon. She asks things of him. It was like a naive version of marriage. You know, and what they needed to do was like, I used to write them laughing and joking. I used to write Spider-Man and Mary Jane like my, my wife and I. Uh, my wife did this one thing one time and like my wife ended up in Spider-Man as Mary Jane often. I remember when, the, you know, when we used to check out at a store when they first did the thing with self-checkout, she said, oh, I'm good at this, and ran to the self-checkout. And, and I'm like, okay, fine. She's like, no, 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 let me show you how it's done. And she starts doing it. The conveyor belt broke, and now it all fell off like I Love Lucy. She's I Love Lucy, my wife. Off it comes, flying everywhere. I put that in Spider-Man. And it's funny, and it's cute, and that's what they needed to do. When, when did they ever laugh together? When did they share stuff where it wasn't always passion about like anger and frustration and secrets? They wrote the marriage in a strange way sometimes. I was like, we should have done it differently. Tell me about what you're doing now. The, you're, you're teaming up with uh, Humberto Ramos again. Yeah, Humberto and I are doing a book called Fairy Quest. Um, it's something It's very much a labor of love. Uh, it's a story that's set in a world called Fablewood, where all of the stories live together. So you got detective fiction and romance. And in this story, um, Red, Red Riding Hood and the Wolf live in an environment where all of the fantasy characters are treated uh, by fascists. They're basically told you're not allowed to. Um, you must tell you keep your story straight, and you're not allowed to deviate. And if you do, we will wipe your mind. And so they decide to escape. Um, it's this beautiful story, and it's very much the story that Umberto was born to draw. So how do they pick it up? Um, how do people pick it up? They go to fairyquestbook.com, um, and we have a bunch of stuff there as well, posters and all kinds of things. But all we've had is people come at this convention and say to us, uh, yeah, sure, I'll buy the book, and then they come flying back and say, I read it, I read it, I read it. When's issue two coming out? So. Any chance you're going to be g- coming back to Spider-Man, or is that in your past? 
Um, I would say that I would want to come back to Spider-Man because I love the character so much, but I can only come back to Spider-Man under the condition that I write the type of story that I'm good at. And I don't know if Spider-Man does that these days. Um, if they want to do single-issue stories that encapsulate the character, they want to do stories that have themes and meanings the way that I do them, um, I think that would work. But I completely understand if they don't. That's okay. It's almost like they've got a different way of doing it, and that's good too. You know, what Dan Slott does on the book is great. He's a really great writer. So um, I don't know if it fits them for me to write them this way these days, you know? Uh, we got a few minutes to wrap up. Uh, S. Diddy, I like uh, Karen Earl as a supporting character during your own Spidey. There was an obvious attempt to have a love mistress for Peter while he was mourning MJ's death. I think he had Jill Stacy, another one of my favorites, and even Morrow. Ooh, was there ever a plan to bring Mary Jane back, or did you battle with trying to have him move on with a new girlfriend? I didn't want him to have a new girlfriend. I wanted to have hot chicks around him that were flirting with him, so that he had this kind of weird thing going on. He's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. You know, uh, so it's crazy. He wants uh, Iron Patriot wants you to team up with Bucky again. That would be nice on a Spider-Man story. Uh, uh, well, he had been doing Fables for all that time, so I mean, I think he's really contracted to DC. Anytime. I'll work with Bucky anytime. Uh, some other questions from the message board. Uh, let's see. Poker Night is one of my favorites. Uh, how did you come up with the idea of putting Fisk in poker and losing this Spidey? Because I watched poker on TV and I realized it was the absolute epitome of the conflict between hero and villain. It was great. And so we wrote that. Got you. Uh, still a nerd. Uh, which comic book character do you believe has not had his or her story properly explored that you would like to develop? And since this is a Spider-Man uh, show, can you limit it to Spider-Man comics if you wish? Absolutely. Uh, to me, I thought Hobgoblin's really cool. Um, and as you heard, like characters like the Big Wheel and Hypno Hustler and all these crazy ones. There's so many great ones. Hypno Hustler. <laughs> Hypnohancer, five-part series by Paul Jenkins coming up. All right, Paul, thank you. It was a pleasure. You're one of my favorites. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap on this episode. Before we go, I want to give another shout-out to our sponsor, MailOrderComics.com. An example of their great prices on Paul Jenkins' work is on Revelations. Now, this is a book where he teamed up again with Humberto Ramos, and it was released a few years ago by Dark Horse, and the description reads, quote, when the Cardinal next in line to secede the ailing Pope turns up dead, Scotland Yard's finest detective, Charlie Northern, finds himself on a plane to Rome with little more than a full pack of cigarettes. With the help of a priest, a coroner, and one beautiful lawyer, Northern must uncover the facts in a place legendary for keeping it secrets. There are forces at work in the Holy See that would see the truth remain hidden. Forces ancient and dark with a power not seen in this world for millennia and an agenda that will leave Northern's world more shattered than he could have ever foreseen. Unquote. Now, the cover price on this graphic novel is $17.95. That's, again, $17.95. And mail order has it for just $12.12, which is 38% off the cover price. So check them out at mailordercomics.com. Thanks for listening, gang. I'm your host and webmaster, Brian Douglas, for the SpiderManCrawlspace.com. <laughs>